0: Welcome to the Fredrickson Health Show, highlighting expert practitioners from health, fitness, injury prevention, functional medicine, and integrative medicine. If you are into upgrading and optimizing your health, this podcast is for you. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, now. here is your host, Dr. Robert Fredrickson.
1: Hey guys welcome back to another episode of the frederickson health show on today's episode we are talking with eleni she's a registered dietitian and a reiki master and not only is she a dietitian she is a functional medicine expert a lot of times in the dietetic world you don't get versed in the space of functional nutrition integrated medicine and so i think that makes eleni's background so unique eleni specializes in women's health, specifically in a niche market of helping patients, women patients with PCOS. And so PCOS is a troublesome condition that affects a lot of women worldwide. And Eleni has a lot of courses and support programs and sees clients one-on-one to help women not only thrive, but get over PCOS and get to the root cause of what happened in the first place. So today I'm totally excited to talk about women's health with Eleni. Eleni, thank you so much for coming on today.
2: Thanks for having me. That was such a a warm welcome. And A nice, robust intro.
1: (laughs) Yes, it only took us uh, two tries uh, to do that intro, but I'm super excited to talk with you about this. You know, I think PCOS can be uh, misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Um, And before we talk about that, I think what I want to talk about first is your background. And because Mm -hmm. you talk about being first off a dietitian, what that entails and how it's different from the functional medicine or integrative space and how you've kind of bridged that gap um, between the two. Um, backgrounds.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've always been interested in food and health. It was just how I grew up um, eating really fresh foods, using herbal remedies when we were sick. And so I think that really primed me to have an awareness of functional medicine before I knew the name. And so when I went to college to be a dietitian, I figured, oh, like food is medicine This is what I love and I can't see myself doing anything else. And then when I got into school, it was a pretty big shock of of what we were learning. We learned the science, which is great. Like we even take some of those pre-med courses. So we're learning the the biology process, but what we were being told, for example, like how to support diabetic patients or how to address disease states, something just felt off to me, uh, especially having that background in holistic um, healthcare growing up. And so when I finished school, you know, did my internships that for my boards, I just promised myself that I would only work in you know, functional medicine, integrative medicine practices. I didn't know how that was going to happen, but um, I just worked really hard to get to that space and learned a lot through, um, you know, continuing education courses and then eventually working in functional medicine clinics and then eventually creating my own practice around PCOS. You know, there's a whole other background story as to why I chose PCOS, but uh, hope that makes sense. <laughs> yes, I love I that. The gap Yes, <laughs> well,
1: for some, for someone listening and they may be. Think of dietitian as, you know, very well versed in meal plans, macronutrient profiles, which, which you are, um, but talk about how, you know, that doesn't necessarily help conditions like, um, PCOS or diabetes or hypertension completely talk about what you would look at as a traditional dietitian versus what you'd look at versus an integrative dietitian. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think traditional dietetics is so powerful, especially in hospital settings where you have to do tube feedings and you have to be really precise, but from a preventative approach, we're not taught that. So being in the integrative space, I'm able to get to the root cause with patients. And I think that's the key. Why do you need to eat this way? It's not just putting you on a strict Calorie plan. We need to understand what's going on at a deeper layer. And that means we're looking at labs, we're looking at lifestyle, we're looking at past experiences, your gut microbiome, your thyroid. So we're going into much deeper layers. Um, And then we're using food and nutrition as tools. Uh, But we have to also cater to the individual. And I think in traditional dietetics, we're missing getting that layer deeper, like opening the hood of the car, like we're just on that surface level. And so in the integrative space, we can get a lot deeper and I think see much better results and not just put patients on diets. Diets don't work. We have to understand at a deeper layer. So I can't stress that enough.
1: Yeah, it's not a diet; it's a lifestyle. So like yeah, that. so like in the hospital, you know, we always see pictures of hospital food with patients, yeah. and it's you know, it's like a sugar-laden Jello. It's a processed casserole or pizza or something, you know, yeah. like processed um, whatever, processed something, and you know that might be helping someone just get calories in, but is that really nurturing you know a holistic lifestyle plan that's going to get them out of disease? And I know there's a difference between. Acute care medicine, emergency care medicine, getting someone better quickly as possible, just getting calories in, but versus when they're out of the hospital, what do you do? Get them right. still eat like, the same food. I, you know, I don't really think it's instilling a good lifestyle, a good dietary habit. If you're say, Hey, the hospital's telling me to eat this. Maybe I should continue eating this. And that's really not. So there's kind of a disconnect there uh, between the food quality and the processed foods. And, you know, I know there's a lot to be said for calories in, calories out. And that does help. That's, that is a principle for weight loss. But getting foods that are actually nourishing your body, getting you out of disease with, you know, micronutrients, getting, you know, (laughs) phytochemicals, getting all these different plant compounds that are beneficial to us, um, it makes a huge difference. And so I think that's where the disconnect is. If you're in a hospital setting, yeah, it's different than something in a clinic where you're actually trying to get to the root cause, give lab testing, give, you know, guidance, hold their hand through that process and actually show them, hey, like, you know, we all mess up on our diet sometimes, but how do you rebound from that? And how do you, you know, stack the odds in your favor? And so, Mm -hmm. and so, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, being a dietitian was more focused on the calories, the macronutrient profile, right?
2: Yeah. A lot of it was focused again, I was thinking like higher level. So calorie, what would you put a diabetic patient on? Like, what would that plan be? And I always found this disconnect between real whole food and yeah, like, it has to be sugar-free jello, for example, instead of sugar. And I felt like we were being fed to believe that processed foods were healthy, like eat your whole grains. You know what I mean? Like these older school, um, thinking patterns. And honestly, I spent a lot of time in undergrad hanging out with sustainability and organic farming students, which was really fun. And that helped me bring all the science I was learning because I had so much valuable coursework and then say, okay, this is how I connect the science with real food. Like by actually putting my hands in the dirt, I studied abroad to learn about real whole food, organic sustainability movements. And I think that's shaped my practice today as a dietitian as well to say, no, we want to get deeper to the real food. Why are we so disconnected in this country? Even as dietitians, why are we so disconnected? And I was really frustrated by that. So I wanted to like try to make that connection and, and make it quick.
1: Yes, that's awesome. So, where did you um, study abroad at, and what did you notice differently versus their their food quality versus ours?
2: Mm-hmm. So um, it was a major that made us, <laughs> I say made us go to Italy to learn about the Mediterranean diet, to learn about biodynamic farming practices, to also learn about how to adapt a healthy mindset around food. I thought it was really incredible that we were forced to sit down for a three hour meal and eat food together and talk about the presentation and connect with the energy of the food. And this is all stuff I use in my practice. I go so much more beyond just the chemicals, um, you know, composure of the food or the nutrient composure. So it was amazing to be in Europe, not only because the lifestyle is different, but to see a lot of people actually have a very healthy relationship with food there. And it made me think, why in the States? um, you know, we're a first world country, we have all these resources, but why are we so disconnected, right? Emotionally, or we're restricting around food or we're scared of food or we're binging and then we're restricting, you know, calories. So it just made me really think and observe and say, how can I bring these practices over to my patients and just kind of create my own philosophy out of all this various education?
1: That's amazing. So you, so people over there actually sit down for three hours with their food mindset, enjoy it. They're not just eating fast food, standing up or in the car trying to get their kids to baseball practice. Right. So they're uh, so, wow. (laughs) So that's such a different, um, different lifestyle. And I'm sure their digestion is way better because they're not in sympathetic overload or dominance right yeah. and they're actually getting a chance to get parasympathetic activity and help rest yeah. and digest so huge difference yeah,
2: portions were dip the portions were huge like very different the quality of like what you're eating there like the eggs that i would buy from the fresh market the yolks were orange like talk about pasture raised high quality i still to this day in the states haven't seen a pasture raised egg look the same as a pasture raised or just egg that you buy at the market it doesn't have any fancy labels in Italy. It was just, yeah. and that was mind blowing to me. Um, and just like the lack of the processed foods. Like if you really just adapt to the lifestyle, you eliminate all these like snack foods, which get tricky for people, hundred calorie pack of this, like low fat, that right. Um, it's trying to, we're being tricked in this in this country,
1: <laughs> right? Cause we, we think, you know, oh, diet's better, hundred calories is better, but we didn't realize yeah. we already ate 800 calories <clears throat> earlier,
2: yeah. right.
1: For, for lunch or whatever. And also that, you know, that just brings a point of the need for supplements over here mm-hmm. in America, because mm-hmm. our food is not as nutrient dense mm-hmm. as other areas, right? We don't mm-hmm. have the same amounts of choline, magnesium, zinc, selenium micronutrients, right. And so they might actually not have to supplement as much. I haven't seen the lab work, but maybe mm-hmm. You know that's that's why we have to bridge the gap of supplements over here because we don't get the same nutrients from food and we don't enjoy the food and we don't digest the food and assimilate the nutrients as people in other yeah. countries do so
2: yep i totally agree with that you know i tell clients all the time our soils they're just depleted especially a lot of the farming like the modern farming techniques we use here unless you're seeking out that local organic you know smaller farm um you're not going to get the same nutrients in a leaf of spinach as probably somewhere else or 50 to hundred years ago. Right. So we don't have to be upset and stressed about it. We just have to like be diligent about, you know, taking care of ourselves.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I love that intro. So let's kind of segue from your background to mm-hmm. your women's focus. And when you mm-hmm. started, um, I guess kind of your journey, walk me through your journey of how you went from, you know, being a traditional dietitian to being more integrative, I already know your background, how that was already kind of versed, in your, your, in your biology, but when did you make that choice That Hey, like uh, something's not what I'm passionate about. And I want to make, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to go after my passion for helping patients with a root cause type Mm -hmm. approach.
2: How Mm -hmm. did that,
1: how did that, um, transpire for you?
2: Yeah. So, uh, it was very personal, you know, again, growing up, like fairly healthy. I was diagnosed with PCOS in my late teens and it was kind of a shocker. Um, it makes sense. You know, PCOS does have a genetic component. So there's some blood sugar, thyroid stuff that goes on in my family. And for whatever reason, you know, environment flip that switch on for me or flip the genes on. And when I went to the doctor um, you know, they right away prescribed me five different medications. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm like late teens, early twenties. This doesn't really makes sense. I'm a healthy person, like from, you know, mostly from the outside. Um, I was getting into that pre-diabetic range by eating my whole grains. That was, I would eat my whole grain bars. I'd eat my whole wheat sandwich at lunch. And I didn't know, eat my whole grain Cheerios in the morning. And I didn't know that that was like really negatively impacting my blood sugar and insulin, maybe for somebody else, it wouldn't put them into that state. And how's your weight? Your weight same. was the
1: same though, right? My weight
2: was the same. Yeah. And I told you this story when I saw a resident, they were amazed. They're like, look at her, you know, she's not your typical PCOS, but metabolically she's got that going on. Um, you know, some gut stuff, thyroid stuff, menstrual stuff, a lot of the typical symptoms of PCOS hair loss, um, a lot of excess hair growth on my face I'm also Mediterranean. So that's not uncommon for that symptom to be, you know, a little heightened. And I just felt awful on the medication, like terrible IBS from metformin birth control, causing major anxiety and depression. And it was scary to like live in my body and be like, why is this happening? The medications are making it worse. So that really sparked me. And I had a lot of support from my family to say, let's go more natural. Like we've used natural our whole life. Something feels off. So throughout my own journey, getting the education doing all this real holistic stuff. It just was a no brainer that, okay, if I'm starting to use functional medicine for my body, it's helping. I I don't have PCOS now. I don't suffer from the symptoms. I'm good. I take care of my body. Right. So that I can stay in this place. Um, I, I just felt this pull. I have to do this for women. I, I know what it feels like to suffer personally. Um, I noticed a lot of gaps in the healthcare system for women with PCOS And I wanted to be able to create a practice that would fill the fill in those gaps with resources, support, um, overcoming like barriers to making changes. And so my practice is completely designed around what I saw to be gaps and also to support women without PCOS and say, hey, how can we keep you healthy so that, you know, you don't have to fall risk to, to any sort of chronic disease that you might be genetically predisposed to. So that's really how I brought it all together to then like bloop, create women's nutrition clinic <laughs> and poof, I, it was created
1: <laughs> and it's doing amazing. So it
2: is. Yeah. I'm yeah. so grateful.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about that. Cause you know, I think that's another disconnect in our, you know, food industry and in our health industry is that you were healthy. You were a good, yeah. stable weight, thin, yeah. um, mm-hmm. lean, and you mm-hmm. developed a blood sugar imbalance. And yeah. so, and you think that's a lot of from the whole grains you're eating and a lot of the high glycemic mm-hmm. type foods you're eating. Um, but again, that kind of goes against some of the calories in calories out notion. Yes, you can still maintain a weight with that, but is it necessarily going to maintain health and disease prevention? Yes. So, and so what was some of the first things that you started noticing on your own that said, Hey, I need to make a change. What were the first changes that you made in your own personal journey?
2: Yeah. Well, I first started noticing symptoms and that's what led me to get blood tests. Like, what is my body trying to tell me? I always tell women, you know, don't get mad. Just be like, oh, my body's asking for help. Like symptoms are a way that your body's asking for help. So once I started getting the blood work and, you know, I had a naturopath and he was like, I remember him saying, if you want your peanut butter sandwich, cause I loved peanut butter sandwiches. He's like, there better be a heck of a lot of peanut butter between those two slices of bread. And that always stuck out to me in that click. Cause I'm like, what is he trying to tell me? And I'm like, Oh, protein. Like that's what, you know, in the limited time I had with him, he was wonderful, um, it just stuck out to me. So I just started completely changing the types of like grains I was eating. And then, you know, I went a little too low carb. I'm like, okay, well that's not healthy. There wasn't a lot of information about PCOS. I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, there's a lot more now. So I had to kind of navigate. So the biggest thing was changing the whole grains, actually getting them out of my diet and focusing on other forms of carbs, balanced amounts of fruit, you know, getting in legumes, doing a little bit more starchy veggies as carbohydrates and always, always pairing any carb with protein. I, I would have this like little mental alarm that went off and I was like, okay, if you're eating an apple, eat it with peanut butter. Once I started doing that, I actually noticed how much better I felt. I didn't realize I was struggling with blood sugar imbalances my whole life. I remember I'd be in school and by 10 AM I would crash. I'd be ravenous. Mm. I'd get like headachy. I'd get hangry. And I thought that was just me. Like I just had to deal with that. I'd get scared if I didn't have a snack packed and I was out. Like I had fear that I would get a a crash. And so that all clicked and said, wow, if you actually just eat a little more protein, you can feel good. And that for me was a motivator to always eat this way. And it was a big, it helped me a lot to to heal from this and not be diabetic. (laughs) Like I was in pre-diabetes range. I was crazy.
1: How high was your blood sugar? If you don't mind me asking.
2: I can't remember right off the bat. I'd have to pull up old but I remember him just like saying, yeah, you're in that range it's pretty high. So, you know, they make you take that glucose test, you eat the breakfast Mm, and then yeah,
1: the glucose tolerance test. Yeah.
2: But he said, you know, eat something you would normally eat because he was a naturopath. He said, I know if you're not normally eating like five pancakes and a bunch of maple syrup, don't eat that way. Like if you're going to have a pancake and an egg, eat that. And then let's see how your body responds. So, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's, um, and and I know what you're talking about with pairing the protein with the carbs to lower the glycemic response. Um, but a lot of people don't realize realize that they they will go eat and i learned this a long time ago is because i was having some acne and i was looking at some natural cures during chiropractic school and it was one of the things that stood out to me in one of the the books i was reading was hey eat the protein first and then have the carb yeah. and you'll lower yes. that glycemic yes. um you know that, that glucose yeah. that glucose response right right after that, that postprandial response and so that's made a huge difference so if i'm out to eat you know maybe we're eating cheating on our diet, we're eating Mexican food or Italian food, and there's bread coming out, you know, always make sure to have some protein before that, if you can, and you're going to lower mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that glucose and insulin response after that meal. Cause how many times have I crashed or felt tired so many times when I was younger, yeah. right. All the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I love, there's so many things that tease out of what you just said. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is the carbs. You said you went too low carb. Yes. A lot of women with maybe PCOS, or insulin issues or blood sugar issues, they think restricting all carbs is the answer. So what what would you advise a patient who thinks that? And what would you advise to maybe make that um, process a little bit easier on the patient?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of layers to unpack uh, because especially in this population, a lot of women develop disordered eating patterns because they're told, don't eat carbs, don't eat a banana, don't eat this. And like, it's like, ah, my gosh, what am I supposed to eat? And then that can also lead to binging. So I first want to say, if you feel like you have some emotional, unhealthy, emotional relationship with carbs or food. It's not uncommon. It comes up a lot for women and women with a PCOS. And we just want to start treating carbs with balance because if we do go too low, it's also unhealthy and stressful for the body. So it's like, you can stress the body out with too much and you can stress the body out when you do too little. So, um, some of the best ways is to, again, always pair a little bit of carb with your protein and to have it later in the day. I find with this population, uh, women do a little bit better at like lunch and dinner. And that might be a half a cup, to a cup of sweet potatoes at one meal. And that might be an apple at another meal. So we don't have to fear carbs. We don't have to fear grains. You know, a little bit of rice is fine. Quinoa, these are all good options. Um, but getting too low is just as dangerous as too high. And I, I can't, stress that enough because I see women that go too low and then we see other things happen too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Does that make sense? Or was that makes, helpful makes, explanation? Makes
1: perfect sense. And I love how yeah. you say use carbs later on in the day, not first yeah. thing in the morning when your glucose is no. typically higher no. and you're having that mm-hmm. cortisol awakening response. So, so walk me through, I, I know every patient's in, in, individual, every patient's mm-hmm. different, but if someone had blood sugar, insulin resistance, and they're having mm-hmm. maybe weight loss issues, maybe some symptoms of PCOS, mm-hmm what would a typical day look like for eating? What would you typically recommend? And mm-hmm. I know everyone's different, but if we could do, yeah. do like a general guideline.
2: Yeah, yeah, so I would first say, um, always start with about you know 12, maybe up to 14 hours uh, without eating between dinner to breakfast. So that time after you eat dinner, when you wake up that's still a really nice window to allow your body to detox you know dip into the fat stores support metabolic health support insulin blood sugar but this intermittent fasting fad um, some women take it too far and they say i'm just gonna skip breakfast or i'm too busy and then they're going you know 16 to 18 hours without eating and that's too stressful so i first say you know give yourself about 12 hours between dinner to breakfast when you eat breakfast have some nice Fiber, have a little bit of protein. So that could be like two eggs, half of an avocado, you know, like a half a cup of berries is fine. That's a little bit lower in carbs if you're like, I need something in the morning. But grains specifically, I usually say, hey, for now, let's not flirt with grains in the morning. Keep those for later in the day because of that blood sugar response. You're going to do better with some good fats, protein, and fiber. Um, Then I typically suggest lunch about three to four and a half hours later. I think having mini fasts in the day are important because biologically as humans, we're not meant to just graze all day. Mm -hmm. Um, So snacking all day, isn't necessarily better, even though a lot of people say, well, I was told to eat six times a day. Well, if you're fueling properly at your meals, you shouldn't have to eat six times a day, but you do want a healthy window. You don't want to wait six hours till lunch. That's too long. That's going to stress your blood sugar out more. So I always say three to four and a half hour windows is three to four and a half hours is a nice window. Have lunch, same thing, little protein, you know, you can start to add in your carb if you want fat fiber. So maybe like a nice salad with chicken and you throw in a half a cup of chickpeas in your salad, or you have a little half a cup of rice on the side. That's a good example. Um, Similar dinner, like lunch and dinner, I would typically say, look about the same. And if your window between lunch to dinner is really long, have a nice protein, rich snack, have that peanut butter and then have the apple or have a protein bar something like that. Um, And then I get into like movement with clients a little bit, you know, we don't have to kill ourselves in the gym, but our bodies are meant to be in motion. So are you moving your body every day? Are you walking? A little bit of strength can be really great for insulin sensitivity. Um, but that's another area I like to talk about because people obsess over movement in this population and people obsess over low carb and that keeps us stuck (laughs) and stressed out.
0: (laughs) It
1: really Mm -hmm. does. I love that meal plan. I I think it made so much sense. It's, you know, it's very intuitive. Um, and, and the six meals a day, you know, like I was ingrained, just know, working out all the time is, Hey, you got to eat six meals a day because you can only, only absorb so much protein at one meal. And we used to think it was only like 30 grams at one meal. And actually that research has actually been debunked. You can actually absorb a lot more per meal. So you can actually have three meals with, and be fine, be fine. Yeah. Yeah, 30, 50 grams at each meal and get your protein needs for the day. Even if you're very, um, you know, even if you're very athletic or very active, you can still meet your protein goals that way. If you plan ahead and do those things, right. Um, mm-hmm. And I know we've gone a long way in this podcast without, without actually even talking about what is PCOS. So yeah. let's go yeah. ahead and do that for any listener who do, who's not familiar with um, PCOS. What is polycystic ovarian syndrome? What are some of the signs and symptoms? What are some of the traditional medications? And what are some of the alternative um, support routes that you can go as a patient?
2: Yeah, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, it um, will typically impact women of reproductive age, so there can be signs in like your early teens. Um, a lot of them are commonly ignored because it, you know, it's common to go through a lot of hormonal changes when you're in puberty. Um, but a lot of the common signs or symptoms would be irregularity in menstrual cycles, um, the excess hair growth on the face, the hair loss and, um, on the scalp, acne, infertility, a lot of changes in the cycle, weight gain, insulin resistance can be a root cause. So essentially it is a metabolic condition an endocrine dis- a condition, and it's commonly confused for just a reproductive condition because women typically find out about it when they want to go get pregnant like why am i not getting pregnant um so you have to be diagnosed with two out of the three criteria to officially to officially be diagnosed with pcos so one would be having polycystic um or having cysts on your ovaries that's where you get the polycystic ovarian name in the syndrome um having high testosterone or high androgen levels and then having irregular menstrual cycles. So there has to be two out of the three to commonly be diagnosed.
1: Got it. And so that's awesome for finding out when you have it, but what do you do after mm-hmm. that? So if you, yes. so if you go to the traditional doctor, they're probably going to put you on, let's say blood sugar medication, like metformin,
0: yep.
1: um, or some of the other me- medications that you went on when you first got diagnosed.
2: Yeah, so usually go to the doctor, you have the symptoms, and then metformin. Um, and I would say, even more common than that, is birth control. So, like right off the bat, it's like just stay, stay on birth control. That's going to regulate your period, no problem. Well, birth control, as you know, it completely shuts down the connection between your brain to your reproductive organs. So it's not a real period that you're getting. It's a, it's a fake withdrawal bleed. So I think what can be really confusing for women is like, oh, okay, this is all I have to take. And then I just get off birth control when I want and everything will go back to normal. And that's when a lot of women tend to come see me is after that. Um, so usually all you're going to get from the doctor is medication and maybe a, a recommendation for a low carb diet.
1: That's about it. Right. That's about
2: it. Yeah. And,
1: and a lot of doctors, when you get on these medications, they don't tell you that these medications actually will deplete you of other key nutrients um, that your body desperately needs, like B vitamins or, or contraceptives deplete yes. B vitamins. And so does metformin. Metformin depletes yes. folate. And so if you're a woman on these medications, I would definitely, you know, ask your provider about the need for taking these supplements or look it up, go to PubMed and look up drug nutrient depletion. And you'll find a list of resources there. Um, at your fingertips.
2: Yeah. Another one is, um, they both interrupt the gut microbiome and the gut microbiome plays a huge role in insulin regulation, hormone detoxification, thyroid health, inflammation, right? So PCOS has a lot of different root causes. And a lot of these medications exacerbate different body systems, and that's going to make healing the root of the problem harder does that make sense
1: it makes so much sense and i know yeah. when we talked a long time ago on your podcast i was talking about magnesium depletion how
2: yes. women
1: with pcos have um are 19 times um more likely to be deficient in magnesium right yeah. than a person without it and that makes yeah. total sense because your gut is disrupted you're not absorbing yeah. nutrients you're probably not eating right and your blood sugar's through the roof and we know magnesium for for one mineral can have an impact on blood sugar insulin inflammation um migraines, the list goes on and on. Right. So right. most people who are listening to this, who have PCOS you know, it's probably a good thing to consider is magnesium and other micronutrients. Mm-hmm. And I guess going on that topic, let's talk about some of your favorite nutrients um, for PCOS and some of the things that you like to do in the natural route. So yes, we talked about the pharmaceutical route with the medications. Yeah. Let's talk about if a woman says, Hey, I don't want to go on all these medications. I'm going to try something natural first. And they went to someone like you, what would you recommend for somebody in general?
2: Yeah. So we already talked a little bit about, you know, diet or flow of the day. So in terms of like, um, you know, supplementation, I'm a big fan of inositol. So a blend of D-Chiro and myo, And the reason being is because it can be as effective as metformin. And I think that's mind blowing. Why aren't we using inositol where that's not depleting our stores and adding so much stress in our body, if it can act in the same way. So, um, that's a really nice option. If women are struggling with that insulin resistant state, another big, um, like category of supplementation that I like are adaptogens, not all women with PCOS are insulin resistant. So a majority are, and I, you know, I was in that state, a lot of women are, but sometimes it can be adrenal dysfunction, like stress, environmental, you know, something else going on. Um, so we really need to nourish the adrenals. And so adaptogen herbs are a nice way to kind of bring those back into balance, monitor that stress, that cortisol response to then help other, other things in the body and help the hormones balance out. Um, I also really like spearmint tea. There's been studies to show that it can help. Yeah. Reduce androgens. I religiously drink it twice a day. And a lot of women are on spironolactone. The reason I bring up spearmint tea is because Spironolactone, you know, if you're on that medication, you should be checking your liver enzymes every three mm. months. Um, usually take it for like the acne, the excess hair growth because of that excess testosterone that's happening. Again, we have to get to the root of the excess testosterone, but I find, um, spearmint tea is like a nice addition to help, um, calm the symptoms. You have to be consistent, but it's an herbal tea, it's hydrating, it's refreshing. So why not just make a ritual of drinking some tea during the day?
1: I love that. Another one. That's, yeah. That's a great tip. Yep. Keep, keep going,
2: keep going. Uh huh. Yeah. And then I really like probiotics for gut support, right? Because if women have been on these medications, um, we have to support the gut and women with PCOS are more likely to have disruption in the gut microbiome. So more dysbiosis than their female counterpart. So let's get the gut working appropriately. Um, so we can really address that root cause. And another one I really like is cinnamon just for general blood sugar regulation. So tasty, you can put some cinnamon sticks and some water on the stovetop and drink some cinnamon tea after a meal too. That can help curb those sugar cravings. A lot of women with PCOS have sugar cravings. Um, so it's a nice way to interrupt habits. So those are some of the like more common, I would say like top level options. And then, um, from there, you know, there's always more, but I think that's a good starting point there's always (laughs) more
1: and those are some some great things to do that aren't too expensive like the spearmint tea and the cinnamon Uh, and those are just you know great polyphenols and catchings in the tea and and catches in the cinnamon bark that can help Mm -hmm. regulate blood sugar help with insulin sensitivity i want to talk about some lab findings and reports and Mm -hmm. i want to talk about some of the differences between i guess the normal range versus the optimal range and what mm-hmm. may be if someone is looking for support and maybe they're going to the doctor and the doctor is saying, Hey, you're fine, but you don't feel fine. You're having all these symptoms. Yeah. And what could a patient do to kind of look at that process a little bit more deep, deeply or intuitively. And of course, we yeah. know seeing a practitioner like you is what you need to do first place, but some patients, yeah. they want to kind of go through that process themselves before they do that. So what, what are some numbers or what are some lab markers mm-hmm. to look at if you suspect mm-hmm. you have PCOS?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, of course, running like a fasting insulin and a one C I find doctors will typically run those. Um, and you know, those are like your standard options, but a lot that are overlooked are vitamin D ferritin levels. So checking your iron stores and your thyroid. Mm. And when those are checked, especially in my clinic, I see that they could be marked or flagged as normal when they're not, those are the ones that come up the most. So vitamin D like under 50, we want to be between like 15, 80 ferritin. I usually see really low. We want to be around 70 and then thyroid, a complete thyroid panel. A lot of providers don't run a full thyroid panel and women with PCOS are more likely to have hypothyroidism mm. too. And that's always overlooked and i i always catch that and then we usually do some nice like nutrient support you've helped me find some nice supplementation for thyroid support um but those are like the common ones that are overlooked that i can't advocate enough because they're either not run or they're run and then they're not actually looked at from a functional medicine range
1: yeah so for example like insulin um i know the functional range is like the seven or below what is the normal range for insulin Mm -hmm. What it i can i don't even know is it
2: under. I don't even know. I just look for seven or below A1C. I like to look for like 5.4 and below because even the standard range is a little bit different 5.3. Yeah. So, what, what I about blood sugar? Just, blood sugar. Well, you told me even lower below yeah. 90. I was looking around between like 90 to 95,
1: 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just referencing that Kaiser uh, permanency study really found yeah. that patients, um, they looked at like 50,000 patients. They found for every point over 86, she had a 6% higher chance of developing uh, diabetes. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think we have to be at 86 to be in optimal health, but I do think having the lower blood sugar, the better. better. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's so many good tools out there. Like the, I've, I've done the continuous glucose monitors on myself and I, mm-hmm. that was really eye opening just to see the different foods and the impact of my own glucose. And so yep. that really changed some dietary habits for me because we all think we eat healthy and we typically do, but sometimes just making these little small tweaks here and there can have a bigger difference on our health.
2: Right, right.
1: Um, okay. So spearmint tea was the thing I'm interested in. I'm going to go get some spearmint yeah. tea after this um, podcast and the cinnamon. What are some of the causes of the high testosterone in PCOS?
2: Yeah, great question. So one can be that insulin resistant state And that's why a female might be like, well, why is my hair falling out? Why do I have this acne, this excess hair growth? If you actually address the insulin resistance that can support a lot of these other unwanted symptoms. And that's another thing. I'm just like listing off these symptoms, like hair loss, acne, like these are devastating for women. So the sooner we can get to the root cause, the better. Some of these medications could be masking it for these women so they can get through their day and be like in a better emotional state. Um, but we're not actually getting to that root. So one of the biggest is balancing the insulin, balancing the blood sugar. And another is actually looking at the adrenals. What's going on in the adrenal glands. They're producing testosterone too. So are you super stressed? Um, you know, is your, are your cortisol levels high or Is it erratic throughout the day? Um, so a good way to get that testosterone down is to do some nice support for the adrenal stress management. Um, the Dutch test, which is an integrative or functional hormone panels, a nice way to look at your testosterone, your cortisol and kind of get a better picture of like what is going on throughout the day <laughs> why why is your body producing this
1: right and, and this is so, so so funny because it's, it's the exact opposite in men because most men are super low in testosterone and yeah. you know there's another whole root cause of stress and sleep yeah. imbalances Isn't that so
2: fascinating lack yeah. of
1: exercise and so so yeah. many men would want the excess testosterone but they don't get it and the women are getting it from the hormone imbalances yeah. i know um so it's just crazy and everyone's an individual and everyone has their everyone's own different. Yeah. Genetics and Mm -hmm. predispositions. Um, What are your thoughts on, I guess, PCOS patients having, I guess these correlated conditions because we know it's PCOS patients also have hypothyroidism, like you mentioned. And we know a lot of hypothyroidism, hypothyroid patients actually have SIBO or intestinal bacterial overgrowth and sluggish motility goes with that. And, you know, low stomach acid goes with that. What are some of the um, common, I guess, um, subsidiary conditions that you see associated with PCOS. And um, I know cause there's a lot of patients who have multiple different diagnoses. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So like gut issues, like a lot of the gut dysbiosis that happens, um, autoimmune conditions too, uh, like gluten sensitivity, celiacs, because the thing is, you know, a big root cause of PCOS is inflammation. So if you have that inflammatory state, what else is going on in the body? Uh, High cholesterol levels, I often see. So those are some of the bigger ones. And then just like fatigue, sluggishness, Mm. chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, being labeled, the body's all connected. And and that's, you know, one of my goals as a PCOS practitioner is, can we start looking at the whole body when somebody comes in with PCOS? Because there's more going on.
1: Exactly. And I think this is a great tie-in because we're talking about specifically PCOS, but it's really more than that. If we can prevent PCOS later on in life, we're going to also prevent other diseases from hopefully not happening later on in life as well because it comes yeah. down to the root cause, living healthy, yeah. sleeping better, reducing the stress, getting the nutrients from food that we need, bridging the right. gap when we can't get the nutrients from the food. So it, it all goes hand in hand. And how long would, um, I know this is another case by case, but mm-hmm. if a patient came to you for PCOS and say they were mm-hmm. not the worst patient ever, not the best patient ever, right there in the middle from um, their disease state. How long would that process take if they were very motivated and they did everything you said to do? Mm -hmm. So they're Mm -hmm. a great patient. How long did that process take?
2: Yeah. Oh, it's so fun because, you know, I've worked with people where they've said, I haven't had a period in the last six or seven years. And then within two weeks working together, they get a cycle. So we can start seeing changes really quick when we start to attack that root cause. But I would say, you know, on average, about three to six months, especially in the labs, we can start seeing significant change, but day-to-day changes almost immediately. Like energy, cravings, weight, Um, not that I'm weight centric, but if you're starting to focus on the insulin and you're addressing the root cause, like weight can just like slide off of some people. So it's just so fun to see the quality of life improve early on. And then they get the labs and they're like, oh my gosh, my A1C is better. You know, my thyroid's looking better.
1: Yes, I love that because sometimes lab, labs are great. They're objective yeah. measurements. They help you get mm-hmm. very good, precise clinical data that you need for improvements. But on the patient side of things, you're not a lab marker. So you feel better, right. regardless of sometimes what those labs say. And I always say, hey, if you're taking a product and you're starting to feel better, that's that's what you feel. And that you're probably right. actually getting better. And the labs will show that later on, but it takes time for the cellular functions to adapt and the enzymes right. to get upregulated or downregulated, depending on what you need to do. So That's awesome. So it's a couple of weeks, periods coming back. What are some other stories you've seen or testimonials that you've seen recently?
2: I mean, pregnancy is like the coolest thing. Wow, that is amazing. I think is when I've had... you know, patients go to the doctor and say, it's likely you'll never get pregnant, or you're going to need, you know, this expensive fertility treatment. And they say, you know, something in their gut. And I always say, as women, we have this, what I call like women's intuition. I'm energetic. I do Reiki. It's like, if you listen to that, awesome. So these clients really listen to that. And they're like, there's got to be another way. And so, you know, working with these clients for about three to four months, and then for them to get, I have one client worked with her for about, yeah, three and a half, four months. And then she got pregnant after, and she sent me a picture of her baby, and I just like started almost almost want to cry because you know some things are hard, and you're like okay, this is why I do this because it really is significant. So those are like that's I mean everything I see is cool, but that's really awesome to help create life or help guide somebody so that they can you know reach this important goal. Um, And another thing that's I guess it's less about symptoms, but more about just the mindset change, like not being scared around food. Being able to feel comfortable leaving their house, like, because these symptoms can be really embarrassing. Women don't feel comfortable engaging in their life, you know, more connection with their partner, because if they're struggling with PCOS, like the last thing they want to do is connect with somebody else. So I think that's really powerful too, to hear women say, wow, I'm in such a different place in my mindset. I'm not scared of food. I don't binge. I don't restrict. I just show up every day in balance. So that's another really cool thing that I, that I personally love.
1: (laughs) I love all of that. It's so amazing, yeah. especially, you know, I'm sure getting a patient able to conceive after yeah. being told they wouldn't a- be able to yeah. from a diagnosis of PCOS. My gosh, that is life-changing
0: yeah.
1: uh, and so impactful. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting closer to the end of the show and something I, nice. I like to do, and I, this is going to be kind of a sneak attack on you. <laughs> is the, um, I said
2: no sneak attacks. Last I know. Week, I'm sorry. Okay. These,
1: these are fun. sneak attacks. <laughs> these are fun. Um, so if you had to put if you got a billboard on the busy street in Austin, Texas, or or back home, you know, in Boston, yeah, and you could put one or two sentences, health related, motivational related, mindset, whatever, you would have the most impact on somebody. What would you want that billboard to say, and why?
2: Mm, I would say um, creating change in healthcare for women. And the reason being is because I feel like a lot of women feel let down or not heard. And if I can support women and go one layer deeper and addressing what's going on and they get to enjoy their life, their quality of life a little bit more, that's what's important to me. We have one life to live. We shouldn't be exhausted and stressed and hiding away in our house all day. And I just want to help women feel better and enjoy their lives.
1: I love that. And that makes So even more sense with today's dynamic that we live in with the the sheltering in place and all that. So I love that. Um, If you could, um, I know we've done a podcast in the past, but if if you could take this podcast and reverse it, was there any questions that I missed that you'd like me to ask or to expand on for Mm -hmm. this interview?
2: Oh yeah. I think that's a really cool question. Um, I think one thing I just want to say like to the audience, especially if they have PCOS is PCOS doesn't define you. You are not PCOS. These are just a cluster of a few letters that um, are showing the symptoms you have because people don't really understand what's at the root. So they're giving you the label and then moving on. I think people attach to PCOS too much. Don't cling to it. It's just, hey, I've got some symptoms. I've got to look deeper. My body's asking for help and let's move on. I see way too much emotional attachment to the four letters. They're just four letters. That's all just, they are. Just four letters. I'll move and on from them. Yeah, you're not a victim to it the rest of your life. And that's just one thing I wanted to
1: highlight. I love that. Yeah, it makes so much sense. These are symptoms of your body's warning signals that something's going on and yeah. let's fix it. If your engine, yes. engine car lights on and you ignore it and ignore it, eventually something bad's going to happen to that car. Yeah. Your body's the same way in some regard. So makes so much sense. Okay. Next question. If we were on, if you were on a desert island, a deserted island, not a desert island, deserted island, and you can only pick (laughs) one health related item to take with you, what would that be? And why this could be a supplement? It could be a health device, whatever you think would have the most impact on your health.
2: Um, mm, that's a good one. I'm trying to think of like, what is something I depend on daily? I'm going to say peanut butter, organic peanut butter. That's like my emergency. I'm like, you know, um, I take supplements, obviously, but I think like, give me a little protein and I'm a happy person. That's what I've learned about myself. No protein, no bueno.
1: No protein, no bueno. That is the first peanut butter answer I have gotten in 25 episodes. I I love that. Very cool. Okay, so if you just, uh, we already did the billboard question, but just your top three general pr- principles for just maintaining health and wellness throughout life to not not depending on age or, or diagnosis what what would those three kind of principles be and they can be more like three
2: for anyone or for what yeah for for, for, for
1: for anybody and for, for yourself anybody. just yeah what would yeah. you advise everyone to do just to get yeah. disease prevention and live a optimal life
2: yeah so first one is connect with real whole food again with all the diets and fats we're scared to eat real food and so just connect with things that come out of the ground. Ideally try to eat that the majority of the day, um, Cherish cherish time, which we kind of already touched on actually sit down, enjoy the meal, eat with people, try not to eat alone, take a few deep breaths before mealtime, because you could eat a salad. And if you're stressed, you're not going to absorb the nutrients. So those are like top two And then the third is connect with nature, get outside, move your body outdoors, we are inside all day, it's messing up our hormones, it's impacting our mental health, our sleep. So just connect with the earth more. I think that's all what we all need to do.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. And yes, those are the best three things I've heard. And everyone listening, take those into consideration for living Mm -hmm. a life of, of optimal health. Mm -hmm. Eleni, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you today. And I really appreciate all the knowledge and insight you've shared uh, for not only just living a great life, but also helping um, female patients with PCOS. And you do a lot of education on your social media and you have a great YouTube channel. Can you let Mm -hmm. people know who's listening, where to find you and your work, where to find your YouTube channel, your social media handles, maybe even um, look at your course later on if they're interested in learning more?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody just goes to women's nutrition clinic.com, so that's women's plural. Um, you'll see all of the resources there, the YouTube channel, women's nutrition clinic, YouTube channel, it'll pop right up PCOS dot dietitian on Instagram. And, um, You know, I have a few courses which are exciting. So one PCOS course, it's a four week self-study, and it's going to help give you all the foundations that I use in my private practice to really manage PCOS for good. And it's delivered in easy to digest way so that you can implement it into your busy lifestyle. And another really fun course I actually did with a sex therapist. It's all about addressing sex drive and libido this comes up a lot in women with PCOS. I think there's still shame around this type of stuff. I don't know why. So a sex therapist and myself teamed up and we created a course to uncover libido at a hormonal, mental, emotional, and spiritual level. So there's some cool courses you can get started on literally today. And then, you know, definitely check out um, the website for, for the coaching, the group coaching and the YouTube channel.
1: Awesome. Everybody check those links out. Um, these are a wealth of knowledge and Elani's always putting out new content. So I highly mm-hmm. recommend following Elani on all the social media platforms. <laughs> Elani, today has been an awesome interview. I really appreciate your time and I want to thank you again for coming on today to share your knowledge and expertise.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next you time. Too.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fredrickson Health Show. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, leave us a rating and review. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our email newsletter for more information.